If you saw nothing else today, I hope you got to see Cora come down in her sunglasses like the shortest rock star come to church you've ever seen. That is literally the highlight of my whole day. But scripture's good too. And we're going to look at the fourth chapter of John's gospel, starting at verse 46, continuing to the fifth chapter, verse 9. Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that the child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea. To Galilee. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you wish to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we know that there is no such thing as preaching unless your Holy Spirit is in every word spoken. And so it is my prayer that these would be your words and everything human would fall away. Be in the meditations of all of our hearts and minds that we may hear and in hearing may be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast called Revisionist History, and there was an episode of last season's podcast that was about fairy tales. Now, modern fairy tales often look the same, 
and the form or the trope that you see is what you would see in a Disney story. It goes something like this. There was Cinderella. She was a good and virtuous girl. She did all the right things, but there were evil stepsisters who did terrible things to her. But don't you worry. They got what was coming. She got to marry the prince. There's always that element of look at this good person in bad circumstances who will win out in the end. It's a kind of poetic justice. But he talks to this person who's kind of an expert in the history of fairy tales, and this person says, well, actually, there are original fairy tales and there are modern fairy tales. Original fairy tales are very different Original fairy tales, which were first written down in around the 16th century, they usually involve one, either a fool, and they mean that literally, someone who is so dumb that they bumble around in life and make all the wrong choices, and yet at the end of the fairy tale, they get goodness, or someone who is blatantly bad, someone who does terrible things and yet good things happen to them. It's the reversal of the modern fairy tale, yes? The example he gives is that there was a very popular folk or fairy tale at this time about a young girl who was terrible. She was terrible to her sister. She was terrible to her parents. She caused trouble in the household. And finally, this family is to the point where they have no food left and they only have two coins left. And so they say to the girl, go to the market and buy us food. And she takes the money and she goes to the market and she buys a doll. She comes home showing her sister, look what I got. And the mother and the sister and the father, they have this nervous breakdown. There's wailing and gnashing of teeth. They're going to starve to death. And then suddenly the doll starts spitting out gold coins. This terrible kid, by all accounts, is getting something good that they didn't deserve. Jesus often turns stories on their head in the same sort of way, and these two healing stories are an example of that. The first is the story of the royal official, a slightly different telling of it than we see in Matthew's gospel because by the time John writes it down, we're more than 100 years after the birth and death of Jesus. And so at this point, we have this royal official who comes to Jesus asking for help. This is such an unlikely story. When you realize that Jesus is a Jewish man living in occupied Rome, the royal official is really a Roman oppressor. This is someone who has everything. He has money. He has a household of slaves. He has all the power that you can have in that area. And none of it has done any good. He's broken by the fact that his son is dying. And so the royal official comes to a place where all of his power doesn't help, where being a part of the Roman government gets him nothing, and he is desperate enough to go see this troublemaker who's down in Galilee. And he comes to Jesus and he says, 
heal my son, which is the first step of faith. We know that he believes there is something about Jesus that is more than just a mortal man. He believes Jesus can heal his son if he'll just come and see him. Now, the last time we were in Cana of Galilee, Jesus turned water into wine. We're told it's the first sign and wonder that Jesus did. Not hugely important, but enough to get people to start believing in who he was. And so Jesus thinks maybe this is just someone wanting another sign or another wonder. And then the royal official says that broken, broken phrase, if you don't come, he will die. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not a part of our faith tradition. You work for the Roman Empire, which has called so much pain to my people. You have every resource available to you, but I will heal your son. And that's exactly what happens. The man goes off and he comes home to a son who is made whole because of Jesus Christ. The second story is as unlikely as the first one, but in a totally different way. Jesus goes back to Jerusalem. At this time, around the pool of Bethsaida, it was not unusual to find people who spent their entire lives begging. These are people who certainly need to be healed, but in the Jewish tradition... It was considered that when you approached someone who needed money, you had a chance to do a good thing, a mitzvah. And so there were people who would stay there and they would count on the mitzvah to get them through the day. They were beggars. And Jesus comes and he looks around and he sees this man who's been there 38 years knowing who this man is in the same way he knew who Nathaniel was. And he says, do you want to be made well? And then we find out what this man believes in. He says, you know what, if I could just get in the water when it was stirred up just right, I would be fine. I would be made well. And no one is helping me. There's no mitzvah. Maybe because he's been there 38 years. But all of his hope is in a pool of water in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus says to this man who is not virtuous, who has nothing, who is a beggar, just take up your mat and walk. And he does. And it's not in the passage we read today, but this isn't necessarily a good man either. <laughs> Because when the officials, the religious officials, see him walking and carrying his mat, they say, you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And he said, Jesus did it. He turns him in immediately. It was Jesus who did it. That's who it was. Yeah. <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason to the goodness and love that Jesus Christ offers to all people. Here's the truth of the matter that I don't understand. We all suffer. We all find ourselves sick at different times. And into that, Jesus Christ is the yes for humanity that offers healing, whether you deserve it or not, 
whether you have all the resources or not, whether you are a hard worker and have made all the right choices or not, Jesus is more interested in the original fairy tale, the one that says that good comes to people not because of who people are, but because good is who Jesus Christ is, one who gives in self-giving love over and over again. What's interesting in the podcast is that there is a neuroscientist who runs this experiment with a group of kids. And they tell the kids a modern fairy tale. There was this virtuous person. There were evil circumstances, but good won out in the end. And then they would tell them an original fairy tale. There was a really rotten kid who did really rotten things, and good happened to them in the end. And they discovered two things. One, the kids always preferred the original fairy tale. Why? Because they lived in a world where they wanted to know that good things could happen even when you're bad. Not only that, but for the kids who had learned a lot of those modern fairy tales, they started to use it as a predictor. Cinderella was good. Good things happened. Sometimes I'm bad. Are bad things going to happen to me? We are a people who at the very heart of our faith is the greatest truth that not a single one of us deserved it. And into that, Jesus steps, offering self-giving love and sacrifice and healing and grace. My grandfather, who is the best person I have ever known, used to say, I sure am glad I didn't get what I deserved. And that's the idea that the more that we know God and God's goodness, we know who we are. So thanks be to God for a story that makes no sense, for healing and love and grace that is offered to all, and that none of us get what we deserve. Amen.